All right, so as you guys get settled in, go ahead and grab your worship guides uh, that's uh, been placed on your seat or grab your Bibles and, and move to Jonah. Uh, can I borrow this? Or, yeah, you've got a booklet um, that, were, that you were given at the front. Uh, the idea with the booklet is that that's the entire book of Jonah, and we would love for you just to bring that booklet with you uh, every single week. Uh, you can take notes there. We've given you plenty of margin, those kinds of things. But more importantly, I think, is for you to continue to connect the dots. You really can't preach Jonah, you know, with, with just, you know, section by section without understanding the, the entirety of it. And there's just so much overlap and those kinds of things. So that's why we, it was important to us for you to get the entire book of Jonah so that you can connect the dots and, and find some things uh, that you may not have seen to carry over from, you know, from verse to verse or even chapter to chapter, those kinds of things. So here's, here's today's passage. Uh, this comes from Jonah uh, chapter 1. And I'll go ahead and read uh, all the way through uh, to verse 17. This is the word of God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and f- to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare, and he went down into it. And to go... Uh, and he went down uh, to Joppa, uh, sorry, to, and he went down to it to go to, uh, with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4 says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each called out to his God. They then hurled uh, the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it uh, for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came in and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil was, uh, has come upon us. So they cast lots and, they fe- and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to, said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where did you come from? What is your country and what peoples are you? And he simply said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid uh, and said to them, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. The sea will be quiet before you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. This is God's word. Let me pray for us once again. Jesus, as we walk into this text and we think uh, very seriously about what you have called us to do, help us not to back away from the truths that we will find here. Uh, God, you have laid before us a path, um, and it is a scary road and it is a hard road, but help us uh, on this Father's Day um, to walk toward these things with boldness. Not the boldness of man, because we know that we can be fearful and we can lie and we can run. But I pray that we are just, um, that we are clothed with the boldness that comes from your Holy Spirit that reigns and rules, Lord, that dwells in us, Lord. The Spirit of Christ Jesus, may you come upon us now to give us the boldness that we need this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, some of you, um, not me, but some of you have trained for a marathon before. Um, any marathon runners, half marathon runners in here? You bunch of lazy bums. Don't you have like any? Okay, let's start again. Um, some of you in here have um, tried natural childbirth and not taken any medicine. Any ch- natural childbirth people? You weenies. Um, this is not going the way that I had. Um, some of you have served the military. <laughs> Anybody? Military guys in here? Una, dos? Okay, we've got two on this one. All right, I'm going to have to find some less hard things to kind of, um, any of you guys on the police force, uh, fire department, any rescue squad? Okay, we've got a couple. All right, so some of you understand that there are hard things in life that, that are harder than others. Everybody else in here, you just live on a couch like, and fluff your pillows every 15 minutes, I guess. I don't, I don't know what's up. So, all right, so I have tried to frame the, the argument. Here's your, your, your time. Uh, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? All right, there, okay, let, let me get rid of the examples. What is the hardest thing that you've ever done? Think through that. Um, right now, I'm, I'm, we're training uh, to go on a trip. Uh, August, uh, we'll, be, we'll be in California hiking a part of uh, the John Muir Trail. And so we're doing all these trainings and we're, we're starting to feel muscles that we've never felt before because it's going to be a pretty strenuous um, uh, hike. And so I didn't know what a pistol squat was before. Do you know what a pistol squat is? You want me to do a pistol squat? All right, so what you do is you swing here, and you have to go all the way down into a crouch like this, like this, right? And then you have to come back up. But then, no, 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 don't, don't, don't applaud. Then you have to go with the other, your weaker foot, and you have to go down into that squat. And then you've got to come up. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, you do it over and over. And there's these little slices of meat here that I don't know what this is, right? But it's about this, and they're burning so bad. Anyway, so you understand, we've all done hard things. And so as on Father's Day, I think it's, it's important for you to look to your sons and your daughters and pick up phones and, and start talking about some really, really hard things in your life. It's important for you to, to walk into that kind of suffering or that kind of pain or those kinds of experiences. Like the time that um, you almost flunked out of college. Or did. <laughs> Sorry, wait, 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 this is not confession, Cullen. You don't have, or did. Uh, almost flunked out of college. Or the time that you got fired at, from the firehouse. 
me, right? Uh, the, the time that a, a, a girl broke your heart or you had to stand over, um, you know, a, a bed of, of one of your dying grandparents. You know, these are really, really hard things. And life is not easy. I mean, it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. And I think it's important for you and I to not shirk away from those hard things of life, but instead kind of face them, right, own them, and share those things. Now, we're at church, right? And so we don't have to talk about pistol squats and, you know, just those types of things. We can really walk into a very spiritual space and ask and answer the same question. What is the hardest thing that God, God has asked you to do? Not the hardest thing in your life, but the thing that you know that God has asked you to do, like pointed you out and said, I want you to move here. Or I want you to open up your wallet or add another zero to that check. Or I want you to forgive someone that seems unforgivable. Like some of these things that are in the, our scriptures that we are called to do, and yet you feel like the heavens opened up in your heart, your conscience, and the inside, you just, you just felt like that was what God was asking you to do, was to do almost the impossible um, and that's kind of where we're at. And so, fathers, as important it is to talk about your failures in this life, it's, it's equally important as you walk along this journey with your sons and your daughters for you to point out these times where God has asked you not just to do the easy thing, but the hard thing. Um, here's what we need to realize is that God is not afraid of hard. He's just not afraid of it. He's not afraid of hard. He's definitely not opposed to asking you and me, his sons and his daughters, to do hard things. And he's, he definitely wants to walk into that space. Because in that space, you cannot trust yourself. You have to trust a stronger source beyond yourself. We live in a pretty comfort society, right? We've alluded to that. But, I mean, we have... We have uh, airbags, you know, to, to protect us from wrecks, which are very, very good. But we also have blenders, you know, to blend up vegetables that we don't really want to consume. We've got, you know, we've got pillows and mattresses that are form-fitting to, to any body type and any body size and will make you as comfortable as possible. We are here, 21st century, and so it's just it's silly to talk about, but we have electricity, night and day. We have indoor plumbing. You know, we have heated floors in our bathrooms. We, we sit on leather, you know, in our, in, our, um, in our cars or in our living rooms. Like, we are just very, very comfortable people. And so when we are shifting and, and actually walk toward hard, this is an interesting or a different kind of mode for us. Because we live in such a comfortable society, it's natural to run away from hard. This morning, I want us not to run away from the hard things, but instead to, to face them on purpose and in reality to do those things for God's sake. Not for our sake, not to be a champion, not to, be like, not to, not to like, you know, get an award, but to, like simple obedience to do what God has asked us to do. God is un unapologetic about asking hard things of you and me. He is unapologetic of asking really, really hard things of you and me. Why? Because that is the place of faith. 
This is the, this where you step into kind of unknown territory, where you forgive one another, where you're patient one, with one another, where you actually live a sacrificial life, where Philippians 2 is not just said of Jesus, but it now starts to emulate you, where you are emptying yourself, and you do not have your, even your own interest, but the interest of others. If you're walking with God right now, or if you're following Jesus, if you call yourself a Christ follower, just remember that God is going to ask hard things from you. There's a potential that you're here and you, maybe you've flattened spiritually. Maybe you've kind of just kind of tapped out or you're just kind of coasting. I guarantee you can come back, go back to your narrative where God may have asked something of you and you simply resisted that call. This is a moment and this is a time and this is a place whether you're here or listening online, where God may be calling you back to faith, a life of faith, not just natural causes or circumstantial life or just doing something that's, that feels easy or natural or safe. This story that we're, that we're reading all summer long, this story is not a safe story. It's a story that causes you or forces you to trust God above anything else in this life. And of course, that's the, the narrative. That's the narrative of the entire Bible, is that it's not safe. It's simply to trust in God and God alone. So verse 1 opens up like this. Now the word of the Lord uh, came upon Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come upon me. So that's the first thing that's hard here, is the fact that the word of God has come to us. God is unap unapologetic about giving mandates to us. Arise, go to Nineveh, those types of things. So the idea is God is not backing away from hard, but he is against something. He is against hidden he is, he's okay with giving you what is hard, but he's so very kind in giving us something that we can read and we can study and we can actually like get our grasp on. It's actually the word of God. And so where the word came to, Mo, or came to Jonah here, the word of God is actually in your laps or on your phones right now. And so our first discovery here in just verse 1 is that even though God is asking hard things from us, he is not going to hide them from us. He has spoken clearly and plainly and directly to Jonah, and he has spoken to us. It's not hard to understand the words arise, go, Nineveh, right? We can all understand these words. He's made it plain and clear for us. We live in an age of skepticism, right? We live in an age of doubt and those types of things. And yet we worship a God who is so very kind to write down his words for us. And he's able to give us written words for us to, to look at day in and day out. We don't have to guess anymore. So sure, there's some hard teachings and those types of things, but we're not, there's no guessing game. We simply can open up to the scripture, to God's living and active word for us and understand the character of God and who he is. This is an age of information and data and those types of things. We, we love this stuff. God knew it. I mean, this is a book for the 21st century. This is not a book that's archaic at all. He knew that we needed information. He knew that we needed data. And so he wrote it down for skeptics like you and me. And so if you've put down your scriptures because God's just not speaking to you, I would encourage you to pick it, pick it back up. Maybe even this summer, not read anything but four chapters over and over and over. 
Maybe just marinate yourself in this little story. Jonah only has, uh, I think, 48 verses and four chapters, those kinds of things. You can literally get through it in about six minutes, even if you're a slow reader. I mean, anybody has that. It's a really small, but it's a complex, and it's a life-giving book. We would encourage you to kind of walk toward that. We all have our own opinions. Each of us come to this table with different insights or even a worldview. We can differ from one another over one thing or another, but one thing that is, is clear is that we have God's word. We have God's word. It is a pleasure, you know, and just an honor to be a pastor of, of, of a body of believers who loves God's word. I mean, right now we have discipleship relationships that are reading their Bibles together, right? They're, they're, every single morning they're walking together and reading the same exact passage over and over and over, day in and day out, and it really is an amazing thing. You've got ministry teams that are gathering, and the force or the source of their daily conversation is not like... Um, um, strategy or philosophy, those kinds of things. It's, it's truly about God's word. So discipleship relationships and ministry teams, you've got your staff and your elders and your pastors. We're reading our Bibles every single day together because we believe that reading our Bibles, right, in community is a powerful thing. So we would encourage you in this season where we just, I mean, simply in verse one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We know that this thing is living and active and is breathed out by God and has been given to you and me. To make it clear, God's word, right, is for us. God's word is to be given to us. Our philosophy, you know, our strategy at Redstone is simply our name. Redstone Church is to give away those three words over and over and over. Red stands for the sacrifice, the blood shed for Jesus. The stones represents uh, Resurrection Sunday where the stone was rolled away. Church, the great commission of Christ Jesus. We did not come up with these things. God gave us these things, and we're going to plant our feet on what God has said in his word for us. We're not going to make it up. We're simply going to go back to the word over and over and over. And so, fathers, if you're here and you're trying to kind of maybe get a little shot of adrenaline, we want you, right, to start your relationship with the Lord here, like using the scriptures over and over and over. We want your relationship with your wife to rotate or to pivot and to have God's word at its center. Fathers who have sons or daughters, you know, we want you to have your, the basis of your relationship with your kids on God's word. And we're just unapologetic that that is what is going to keep your family and your marriage and your kids and your boss. I mean, those types of things. The foundation of who we are is found here. And so we want, fathers, for you to, if you're going to give, you know, your kids anything, we want you to have a discipline of reading your scriptures and finding your strength and finding your courage and finding forgiveness. Not finding shame, but finding forgiveness in these words that we find in the scriptures. And so James McNeil um, did a great job preaching last week. And so he ended kind of this section, and I'll repeat it. It says, what are you going to do with God's word? All right, what are you going to do with the word of God? Are you going to run away from it or are you going to obey it? I think that's a good question, kind of wrap up this. What are you going to do with God's word? I mean, the you know, living and active word of God, are you going to run from it or are you going to obey it? It's interesting that God is so simple with Jonah. I want you to rise, get up. 
want you to go. I want you to like, take some steps, and I want you to take some steps toward Nineveh. These things are clear. You couldn't get more clear than those kind of four or five, six words in, in verse 1. The problem, here's point number two, the problem with obeying God is not an intellectual one. Right? The problem with obeying the Lord or following after God's word is not an intellectual or a cognitive thing. It's a moral miss. It's not an intellectual miss. You couldn't get more clear than arise, go to Nineveh. I mean, which is just simple. And yet what we see in the following passage is that God resisted that and ran away from those things. And so we realize that God is just unapologetic about asking hard things from us. He asked Jonah here. He wants you to go to a hard place. He wants you to go to a hard people. And we want you to deliver a really, really hard message. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. And here's kind of the, 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 kind of the hard part. Not only just go to a place, right, but call out against it, for their evil has come before me. The ask for Jonah was a hard place, a hard people, and a hard message. And so last week, we, again, we, we, we heard that Nineveh was a really, really bad place, and it was filled with all kinds of bad people. I mean, wicked people that would execute their people. They tried to wipe out Israel three times. I mean, just, it was, they were just bad, bad, bad folks. I mean, so much so that, I mean, we just, we, just, we just know that these people are despised by all people that looked a little bit or sounded a little bit like Jonah. When you said the word Nineveh, it sent chills down everybody's spine. They knew that they were some bad guys. Right now, we can, and uh, it, this is uh, modern-day Mosul, Iraq. You may have heard that. And so these are the, our great-grandfathers of ISIS or ISIL, those kinds of things. So these are, these are really bad. And so Jonah, so the Lord looked to Jonah, and he says, Hey, I want you to go into Mosul. I want you to go into the territory of, of ISIS. I want you to be wear, waving an American flag, right? And I want you to have American flag on one shoulder and then a boom box on the other. And I want it to be blaring like Bruce Spring, Springsteen, born in the USA, right? Or if you want to go all the way back to Lee Greenwood, right? God bless the USA. And I want you to march up and down the roads of Mosul with American flag, maybe a Make American Great uh, hat and a boom box and I want you to then stop it all and say, you're going to die. And that's kind of what's happening with Jonah. He wants you to do all of those types of things. And once you've gathered, you know, everybody's attention, he wants you to kind of wave your hands and say, don't shoot, but you're going to die. This is kind of, this is what, what Jonah is walking into. So it's a hard, hard message to a hard, hard people in a hard, hard place. God is unapologetic at this point. He does not necessarily care or worry about just our insecurities because he knows that his strength and his power and his might can get through those things. But Jonah, in our story, he ends up wilting. He ends up wilting. This week, um, we're going to look at just the implications of this little word, arise and go. 
For the last month, we've been talking about what it means to be on mission together, to actually come together and be on mission, to go outside of our comfort zones, go out of the places that we know, and to walk into places that we may not know or the places that make us a little bit uncomfortable. This is very similar. I mean, this little word here, arise and go, this is very, very similar to what we've seen in all of, the, uh, all of the Testaments, both Old Testament and New Testament. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and what is the first thing that God tells them? To go, to fill, and to multiply the earth, to have dominion and authority over all of the earth. This is this command or this commission to Go. Okay, good. All right, all right. Crowd interaction. So this is God, creator, first person, right? First Adam, God, creator, looking at him. And he says, I want you to fill, multiply the earth, and I want you to go and have dominion and authority over all the earth. I want you to have a garden, but I want the garden to expand. I want you to go. Yes, yes. He wants you to go, and that's awesome. And in the same way, he looks at Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your, your family. I want you to leave your, your homeland, and I want you to go to another place because I'm going to make, this, you, make you a, a nation. I'm going to give you a piece of land, but it's, it's not here. It's somewhere else. But then in Genesis 12, he says, I'm not just going to give you a piece of land, but you, Abraham, he's going to look at him. You are going to bless all the nations. You're going to bless all the families of this entire, entire earth. It's from Adam to Abraham, it's just this expansion. It's just continuing to go. And of course, Jesus, the Great Commission, you know, go ye therefore. We know this word, this, this little bitty word, go, is go into all of the nations. This is not just Jonah's commission to go. This is our commission to leave where it's comfortable and actually go somewhere else. Here in Jonah, and this is where kind of maybe your, your, your booklet will come in handy because it's not printed anywhere else. But if you look at chapter 1, right, verse 1, and, or sorry, verse 2, and it says, Arise and go. And then you flip all the way to chapter 3, and you see there's all kinds of things that are going to go on in these spaces. But in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We've heard that phrase before. The second time. And what does he say? Arise and go. This is the theme, not just of Jonah. This is the theme of the Bible for God's people to leave where it's comfortable and go to people that may not look anything like them. And he's unapologetic about this. This idea for Jonah to arise and go and go to Nineveh actually gives us a picture of God's evangelistic heart. God loves the nations. He's been loving to the entire earth since its creation. This is how God is sovereign and he's over all things. And he wants the salvation to come to all peoples, all places. He loves men. And he loves women. He loves little boys. And he loves little girls. And he loves the Ninevehs of the world. This is not just an insular kind of south religious belt buckle, you know, Bible belt kind of where the buckle. I mean, this is not just like some insular thing. This is not a Western movement. This is a movement that God has put in place for the entire world to come underneath the glory of God and to understand that our sins have been forgiven by a merciful God who said, I will abate all of my anger towards you and therefore call you pleased and good and righteous and saints and forgiven. And he will 
will call us to himself and he will adopt us. This is not just a Western white thing. This is a world thing and he loves all of the nations and he wants us to be a part of it. Some of us pause and call time out and say, God will do something about it. If you are so loving, why don't you do something about it? He has. It's called the people named Jonah and you and me to get out of our comfort zones and walk toward people that scare us just a little bit, that make us a little bit more nervous, or that we just don't understand exactly how it's going to play out. If you find yourself just a little bit more comfortable, you find yourself a little more stagnant than you want to be, I think the first couple of verses of Jonah chapter 1, and then just this poignant moment that God comes back in his mercy and his grace and his power and clarity in chapter 3, and he says the exact same thing. The character of God will not change. He will want his people to go and to share the greatest news that there's a merciful God that wants to forgive them and walk alongside them. As one author said, he said, the pulse, the heartbeat, the pulse of God's heart is an evangelistic one. God pursues people in all places, in all times. This is what he does. And so right now, the worst dude on the planet, the worst people group on the planet, the harshish, harshest regime on the planet, God loves. ISIS loves. North Korea loves. MS-13 loves. And he's asking Jonah, who was pretty comfortable and was doing really good ministry to go toward others, not to stay where he was. This is a consistent theme. And so imagine if um, he's calling you to do this. Just imagine if this was not just Jonah's commission, but it's our commission. And it is because he loves you. And there's no like, really, really bad guys and kind of bad guys. God loves you. The way that you know that this is God's heartbeat is that he loves you, a sinner, far from him, and he wants you close. This is really hard stuff, and he wants you to do hard stuff. Some of us were um, a little bit scared uh, two Sundays ago when, when Wonka asked you to serve communion on the other side of the room. Remember that moment? I wasn't here. I was at the beach getting this tan. Um, but Wonka just did something. He says, I want you to get up and go. But if you just mark off, I wish I had done this. That would have been amazing if I'd had this math, but I don't. So I'll lie. I'll just lie to you. Um, so he asked you to then get up from this side and walk 70, 50 paces that way and to serve someone that you may not know or have ne never met before. And he just wants you to go across the room. And for some of you, and this is not shame, this, this, this is great. For some of you, your heart started racing like, I don't know anybody on that side of the room. These are my people. I sit here, right? And so you got a little nervous, like, you know, may the body and blood of Christ Jesus, you know, bless you today. And that made you a little bit uncomfortable. Man, find that moment. Find that heartbeat and get addicted to that over and over and over and over not just getting up and walking across rooms, walking across county lines, 
loving our Carter County friends, loving our, our Hawkins County friends, loving our Johnson County friends, loving our Knox County friends, loving our, our friends in, in the Southeast, loving Americans, loving you know, the North America, loving the West, loving the world. Just continue to be addicted to that moment. But the question, I think the, the, the hard thing for us, and um, we may end here, um, is that who is that group of people? Who is, who is your Nineveh that gives you just, just it makes you uncomfortable? Because there are groups or there are people that it's easier to judge them than to see their transformation. Again, this is not like a us versus them. This is just, this is all of us. And the fact that there is a them is a part of the problem, Right? You understand what I'm saying? The fact that there is a them is a part of the problem. Is the diagnosis of the problem is that we think that there is a them, even though God's mercy is shed over all of us. And so it's easy to get a little bit weary of, 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 of Al-Qaeda and ISIS because they can take off your head and not apologize toward it, to it. So if God asks us to go toward, I mean, that makes sense that we would be worried about them. But what about that home church of yours that you continue to look back at and, and, and maybe um, slander a little bit because they're maybe are a little bit backwards or a little bit legalistic and, and you're like, man, uh, if only they knew. And you just look and, or maybe there was a church family that has done you all kinds of harm. Like that's the, it may not just be a secular, it may be a very, very Christian group that you have a hard time walking toward. Um, it may be, you know, racists, you know, here in the deep south, um, we can scrounge up our share of racists and we're like, man, just, just let them go. Man, just let them die out. All right, the LGBTQ community. Like, I don't know how, where you stand on, on these things, but, but maybe your fear of a people group, as if there's an us or a them, has, has really just made you stagnant and not taking a step toward people or people groups. Um, what about political opposition? Right? Wherever you are on the aisle, left or right, centrist, you likely look at them and go, man, there's no hope, or there's no way I'm going to go and, and try to look. When, what, who are, or what group of people is it easier for you in your heart to judge than to see transformed? We want our hearts transformed, not judged. We should want that from all people. So why is engaging others oftentimes the scariest thing or the hardest thing? But the... I think more than just being missional, I think verse 3 really does kind of land the plane for, for me. And we see this uh, in another place because even the sailors, even the mariners picked up on this theme later on in the book. But verse 3, kind of just the icing on the cake. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Right? This is a really strong statement. It's so strong that when he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid a fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. What's the very end of, of verse 3? One more time, one more repetition. Away from the presence of the Lord. 
the thing that is more hard or more scary than in, in walking toward people that you may be a little skeptical of is truly being away from the presence of the Lord and doing that pretty intentionally. To flee from the presence of the Lord is, is, is three times even in this first chapter. Jonah was built for this moment. He was a professional minister. This is what he's done his entire life. He teaches, he preaches, he gives God's word away over and over and over. In 2 Kings, he's called a prophet. In the prophets, they were able to have a great kind of standing. Elijah, you know, Elisha, Jonah, I mean, just group them all together. And this prophet, this prophet who is a, Amos calls him a seer, or a seer, the prophet who's able to come to the people and tell the people what God has said. This is Jonah's moment. He's heard from God. And what does Jonah do? He calls a timeout and he walks away. He's a professional Christian. This is what he does. This is what he's been living for, is to hear God's word. And he comes to him and it's so scary or so uncomfortable that Jonah, the prophet, who's had an unbelievable ministry, actually does not do what the Lord says, but instead intentionally Two times, he's actually mentally, this is cognitively, he walks away from the presence of the Lord. He would rather be there than in, than in Nineveh. Our hearts can be hardened and our lives can be frozen when we walk away from what God has asked us to do. Jonah is self-righteous and so are we. Jonah wants comfort and so do we. Jonah is scared and fearful, and so are we. We need to understand this morning that we are Jonah. Right on your bulletin, I am Jonah. He is no different than my heart, my fickle heart toward, toward God. So how many times have you and I tried to run from God's presence? Jonah has his own desires and his own plans and his own ambitions to fulfill. And so that's why he pays his own money to get onto a ship that's literally heading in the opposite direction. Tarshish is nothing more than our own way versus God's own way. This is where Tarshish, or what Tarshish is. He's heading to a place where he thinks that he can outrun God. Laughable, right? The omnipresent, you know, God of, of the creation that he could outrun or he could run from God's presence. We know that that's not possible, but Jonah thinks that he can. Jonah does what he sees, thinks is right for us. And so this morning, maybe God has, and we know that, again, the issue is not an intellectual one, right? We, we, we know what God has said, and yet we are moving in the opposite direction. God calls us to Nineveh and we're heading toward Tarshish. He wants us to go northeast and we go due west. We're heading toward Spain, right? We're leaving. We're going as fast and as furious as we can. Maybe, just maybe, our own way, our own fare, the things that we're willing to pay for to run away from what God has asked us to do. Maybe it's lust. If you're running toward lust and the benefits that those things those sins give to you and me and to us. That's our Tarshish. Where we know, we know what God has asked us to do and yet we continue to dive toward and we go the opposite direction of us. Maybe your marriage. Maybe your marriage is just one 
fight after another. You know God has called us to unity, called us toward for, for forgiveness, called us toward patience, and yet you find a way to pick a fight every single time to prove that the other person is wrong. In that moment, you know that you have bought a ticket and you are on a ship heading to Tarshish. That is what it is. Maybe you're a workaholic. And maybe you know that God has asked you to be you know, a father to your kids or a husband to your, your wife. And yet you find all of your enrichment and all of your time and all of your energy and all of your creati- creativity, not going toward your family, right? But going toward your work. That is what is truly satisfactory to us. Well, that workaholic, you know, being a workaholic is your Tarshish. We could just go on and on and on. I don't have to belabor the point. There's lots of other examples other examples. This little book is about trust. Do you trust God over your own interests? Do you trust him? We need to understand that when we pursue our own interests, when we're selfish and we can only think of ourselves, there is a price to pay. Jonah just thought that he was going to, you know, buy a ticket. Instead, it cost him so very much. And he went through a painful, painful um, experience because of it. The beauty of the gospel, though, not to get so heavy, right? We'll, we'll end on a light note. The beauty of the gospel is that it's not just a hard task that God has given to us, but God pursues, right, unapologetically gives us a hard task, but he unapologetically, he pursues hard-headed people, you and me. Like, he This is just what he does. Read Luke 15 and just listen to the father in the story of the prodigal. God the father loves to pursue hard-headed people like you and me. People who flees from the um, presence of God. He loves them. Jonah is not a passive agent in this story. He runs from God. God pursues. He rose up, right? He did get up, but he rose up to do something else. God pursues him. Jonah goes and he finds a ship, right? He finds a ship. God's pursuing him. He buys a fare. You know, he spends his own money. God pursues him. He goes down into the belly of the ship, probably known just, you know, just uh, as a place of hiding or shame. God pursues him there. He actually gets on a boat heading to Tarshish. God finds him there. He's going in the opposite direction. God pursues us. He continues to pursue us. Adam and Eve, the first time that they sinned, there was shame and despondency in their hearts. And what did they do? They ran and they tried to hide. And what do we see? We see God pursuing after the men and women who have literally disrupted everything, you know, destroyed their own heart and their own relationship. And even the whole earth is now in chronic rebellion against us. And yet God pursues us even in that. Verse 4 is the moment of the gospel for you and me. This is the good news. But the Lord, what did the Lord do in verse four? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. It may not be pretty. It actually may be dangerous. It may even look like discipline. But that conjunction, but the Lord, is proof that God will pursue sinners. You do not have to get your act straightened up. God's presence is available to you. God's not unaware of what you've done. It's okay. He pursues us. That's the good news, is that when we have a God pursuing us in our darkness or in the depths of our sin, he is fully aware. 
He is not in the shadows of our sin, right? He understands our sins and he walks toward them. He pursues us when we are in sin. The book of Jonah is not about a fish. It's not about a big fish. The book of Jonah is about a bigger God who pursues evil humanity, both in the heart of Jonah and the heart of a city that has done evil against him. The hardest task that the father ever asked anyone was of Jesus. There was a time when Jesus was in heaven, when God the Father asked Jesus to go, to arise, go. Go to an evil planet full of fallen people and live among them with a threat of imminent death. And unlike Jonah, Jesus goes. He goes willingly for us. This is a story of how God pursues rebels and how God continues to, like, like continue to pursue us in all kinds of ways. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's pursued. And a great wind came to Jonah. That's God's pursuit. A whale shows up. You know, the voice of God, I mean, it just continues on and on and on. God's pursuit. We need to look at this little book and say that I am Jonah. Because if you're able to replace Jonah's rebellion for your rebellion, then you will be able to worship a God who pursues you where you are in the depths of where you are. This is a story of how a man is on a run, right? But God's faster. He has much more endurance and he's got a lot more, you know, instruments at his disposal. He will always pursue us. He's just not scared of us. And to prove that he wasn't scared of our sin, but that skin, that sin could not just be swept under the rug, he sent his son Jesus to die for us, to take the cruel punishment of, of sin and death upon a cross. And God the Father, in the pursuit of mankind, looked to Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice and said, that will do. Your sins have been forgiven. At Redstone, we come to a table of remembrance every single week, and we look at a table like this, and we realize that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a, a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. This is what pursuit looks like. The ripping and tearing of God himself, literally emptying himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is what God's pursuit looks like for you and me. If that wasn't graphic enough, he then takes a chalice of wine and he, he gives it to his, his disciples he says, this is the blood of, my, of the new covenant. This is my blood spilled, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so whether it's the ripping of his body or the shedding of his blood, he knew that it would take just extreme measures to bring back the people of God. And so we think hurling a wave, we think a big whale swallowing a man, spitting him out onto the shore is extravagant to save the people of Nineveh. He had a much bigger plan for the, for the scope, not just of Nineveh, but of the entire earth. And it comes through the person of Jesus. And so if you're a believer in Jesus today, we would encourage you to come toward this table, to take the, the bread and the cup and enjoy this as a meal. 
1 Corinthians tells us, though, that, that we need to look at our hearts and for us to examine our hearts. I've asked some pretty hard questions this morning. So I would encourage us to not rush into this moment, but actually maybe even delay just a little bit. We believe that we don't just all, we don't have an altar call, call where just one or two people come. We believe we all need to respond to the gospel in some way. I would encourage you, if your, your heart has been stepped on or maybe convicted a little bit, that for you to delay just a second, spend some time in prayer, and then walk toward this table knowing that you are free. You are free indeed because of what Jesus has done for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, as we walk toward this table, I pray that we remember that you first walked this road for us. I pray now, Jesus, that uh, we are able to see this as a table of remembrance, as a table of what you have done for us. I pray now that you are showing us that you have reconciled sinners to yourself. When we step toward this table, know that this is a table of security. This is not a table of shame. This is a table of forgiveness, not of guilt. Because Jesus, you have carried those things for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.